Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. So Luke chapter 24, and we're going to pick up in verse 13. Before I begin, just want to begin on just an introduction to this story. Many of you know it's the story just before this of resurrection day. It's the day when uh, Jesus is resurrected, and some women go down to the tomb, and they find that an angel appears to them, two angels appear, and, and, uh, and tell them that Jesus is alive. And we know that from this, many of the disciples, around 70, or you could say some, of the, some people say 72 at the time, were following Jesus. And at that time, some didn't believe, some did believe. They were seeing sightings of Jesus. And these women were telling this story. And then we meet in verse 13, we're going to read just now, uh, two disciples or followers of Jesus are walking to the village of Emmaus, leaving this scene. So they're leaving the scene of the resurrection day. And we find that these two uh, followers of Jesus, as they're walking and leaving the drama, leaving the scene, the place of action, something radical happens. In fact, they meet with the resurrected Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to meet with the resurrected Jesus. I want to meet with the Holy Spirit when I come to church. They meet... Jesus. We're going to pick up right now in verse 13. It says this, now that same day two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were leaving to this village. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, when are our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. 
they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I want to just talk to you for a few minutes this afternoon, I promise. And I think we should have a bit of time of fellowship afterwards. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes on a subject... And the title of my message is The Power of Community. The Power of Community. Another, another terminology, if I was going to give a, the, the title of this message another name, it would be The Power of Family. The Power of a Family. The Strength of People Being Together. In this story, what we see is two disciples leaving Jerusalem. They're leaving this place of action, the place where Jesus has died on the cross and to some has, has, has presented himself the resurrected Jesus. But these two disciples find themselves discouraged on their way out of Jerusalem. They've got a seven-mile walk, which is quite a fair walk. But on this seven-mile walk, as they leave, they find themselves discouraged and begin to discuss what the Bible says, what's happened. They begin to discuss what they've just seen and heard. Together, as they discuss this, something amazing happens because it says that as they began to discuss, all of a sudden, Jesus appears and begins to walk with them. I love that. The fact that they begin to discuss, then Jesus arrives on the scene with them. There's something about this that is powerful, and we see all at the beginning of the book of Acts, actually, that the birth of the church starts with a scattered people. They began to scatter. What happened on the cross scatters the disciples. So now this, this family of people that were scattered... Now, God is still doing something. I want to tell you that what we see here is that they were scattered but still empowered. And I want to tell you today that there is something about when communities get together. It's not always been about being in the temple. Jesus said when, when he died, he said, you'll see that when I die in three days, the temple's going to be rebuilt again. In other words, he said, it's me. I'm the temple. And some of us have got to realize actually that Sunday, what we do on Sunday, and some of us can get addicted to coming to meetings and being here on Sunday and think that this is what church is. But actually, church is far bigger than what we do here in two services on a Sunday. You see, when we're scattered in the week, because that's what happens, we leave the temple, we take our journeys home into our communities and our lives and the things we do, and we realize that actually as we're scattered, God is still empowering us, and we're still the same believers. I don't know about you, but God does not turn down the power when you leave here. He doesn't say, oh, I'm going to remove the batteries, or when you come here, there's, there's far more Holy Spirit in here for you to, to do amazing things. Now, Jesus says to you today that when you leave here, you're the same. You see, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the same in you. He doesn't change, so when you leave here, he's the same. So there's something about the fact that when they leave this action, they go on their way home, that there's something about this community they begin to discuss. They begin to talk together, and as they do, Jesus shows up. There's something powerful about the community, something powerful about the family. I was chatting to Emma the other day. She said, I've found some uh, pieces of paper downstairs in the uh, Sunday school notes and I heard, I don't know exactly the story, but I I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm getting this right, that the Sunday school teachers asked 
our sons and everyone else, if you could write ten things that you would like to have, but five that you would give away. Ten things you like, but five you're prepared to give away. And we unfortunately found our son Jacob's list. And on his list it said, one of them was a PlayStation. He likes his PlayStation. One of them said family. I thought, oh, that's good. He's put us on there. We're on the list alongside the PlayStation. And then we looked at the five he'd crossed out. How many of you know that family was crossed out and PlayStation was still on there? We had to ask him about this. We said, Jacob, you're telling us that you like the PlayStation more than us. Everything we've gone through, nine years to bring you to this stage, and you would cross us off the list like that. Sometimes we don't understand the power of family. We don't understand the power of community, being together, strengthening each other, encouraging each other. And this is what we see in this story. Disciples, followers of Jesus, they've known what it's like to be together, but now they're leaving discouraged. I want to tell you, sometimes if you leave this place discouraged, sometimes you need people around you who are going to encourage you and lift you up. I need it. You need it. We all need it. Whatever level you are in your faith, we need friends. Did you know that? doesn't matter how, how powerful you're moving in the kingdom of God, you need a friend. And uh, sometimes we think that the more we move in power, the less we need people. But actually, the more you move in power, you're going to need people. Because the enemy is going to come and attack you. When the enemy is going to attack you, I know something, I need my friends around me. Amen. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says this. Two are better than one. It's read in many weddings and two are better than one. Why? Because they have good return for their labor. Verse 10 says, if either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. We need people to lift us up. That is what community is about. That's what friends are about. The fact that someone can spot when you're having a bad day. I don't, have you ever noticed this when people look at you and they can tell just by looking at your eyes if you're having a bad day? And you're trying to hide it, but they can say, are you okay? And you say, yeah, I'm fine. But deep down inside, you're, you're actually quite broken. Some of us are really good at hiding it. But I want to tell you, we've got to get into a place where this church community is not just built on an army, but it's built on a family. The foundations of this church should be built upon a family. I put here that if our purpose is to build an army for Christ, then our first priority must be to build a family in Christ. Why do I say that? Some people will be saying, well, don't you think evangelism's the main thing? Don't you think that reaching the lost is the main thing? Yes, it is. But until we have a family that's strengthened, then it's hard to do that. Jesus talked about good nets, didn't he? If you notice the miracle of when, when, when the Peter caught the miraculous catch of fish, if you notice his nets were breaking. He was losing them. If you don't have strong nets, then you ain't got a good net. Sometimes you've got to strengthen your nets. Strengthening your nets doesn't mean more programs. Strengthening your nets means good people. So if you have good people, you've got good nets. When someone comes in, they're strengthened. I love the fact that we're doing the first steps course. Danga came to me and said, I really want to encourage you. I want to teach this course to help the people. We discussed it through and some amazing things have come from that. And I believe that is a strengthening of the net. It's a strengthening that when people come in, there's the evangelistic side, but there's the family side of bringing people in. 
one of the things I've found on Alpha as I've gone through the Alpha course and visited, it's been amazing to see the development of these people come through, some of which have never visited this church yet, but they plan to. But they love the fact that they've been brought into a family and a group of people. We've got to build a family. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus spoke not to unbelievers. He spoke to Christians about building on wise, uh, wise and foolish builders, building on firm foundations. He spoke clearly on the fact that if we don't build on good foundations, when the storms come in, they're going to take you out. And sometimes I believe that building on firm foundations as Christians is actually encouraging and being together. The Bible says don't give up meeting together as in some are in the habit of doing. In other words, you've got to get together with people to strengthen each other so that when the storms of life come and you understand the Word of God, you're strengthened to take the storms of life. I want to ask you, what storms sometimes hit you? Is it because you're sat at home and you're not really integrating in community? Is it because you separate yourself from community? And sometimes if we do that, we feel weaker rather than stronger. I want to encourage you today that the power of community is very powerful. And it's something that we need to, as a church, we need to develop better. We can be good at plenty of things. People tell me, oh, you're great at evangelism, the things you do. But we've got to learn how to be better at community. This is something for many years I've thought as a church. And the more we've grown, we've needed to develop the friendships and community among us together as friends. Yesterday I was out for, I sat down and I just, I went into Grantchester. Has anyone been to Grantchester Meadows? Yeah, beautiful. So I thought I'm going to go there. I'm going to have a bit of peace and quiet. I'm going to get myself a cake and a cup of tea. And I'm going to relax. And I went down to get my tea, and all of a sudden, I went in to get my tea, and who came on? Who came in? Right in front of me was Joe. I thought I was at work for a minute. Joe appeared, and right behind her was Ruth. We all sat down together, and we enjoyed some discussion together. But do you know what was lovely? Community began. It was spontaneous too. It wasn't planned. In, this, in our country today, there's, every one of us need to plan a night in with someone. You know, it's a bit sad sometimes that we have to do that. But what was nice yesterday is community happened by accident. Friendship happened by accident. Unfortunately, they saw how big my cake was and the, how much I was eating. I thought, it was, I thought I'm going to get out of the way. No one's going to find me here in this orchard. But you never know who's around the corner. Watch what you're doing. I want to talk to you just for a few points today on community and what it means, the power of community, what it means for this church. Number one is this, community will provide, if we can nurture community, it will provide a place to explain. Why do I say that? In Luke 24 verse 14, it says that these two disciples were walking to Emmaus and as they walked, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Then it says this, verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. You see, there's something powerful about when you discuss the Word of God with someone else. Amen? If you can get into this place of learning to discuss, not discourage, but discuss the Word of God, 
and get out. And sometimes we've got some questions. I don't know about you, but I've got questions. That's one of the reasons why we do the Bible 360, to allow some questions that people have to be answered. They're not always answered. But it's good to get around people in the community of the kingdom of God and discuss the word of God. Why? Because it says that they were looking at the things that had just happened that day. So now they're looking at what's happening today. What does the scriptures say? What do we think? And then all of a sudden, guess who shows up? Jesus. There's something about discussing. You see, in First Chronicles 12.32, it says that the men of Issachar understood the times and knew what Israel should do. They knew the times. Sometimes we've got to understand what is happening in our lives today, how it, why it's happening to us, and understand what the Word of God is saying. Do you understand the Word of God and understand the times? You've got to get around people who do and learn from each other. I, I love... Uh, the kids, they, they go when we go to um, charity shops sometimes. They pick up board games. They love board games. And one of our, my sons, he said, Dad, can I, can I buy this board game? And I said, yeah, go on then. I'm always kind of saying no in the shops. And then he says, can I get this huge board game? We bring it home. This thing's the size of a house. We open it up. There's all pieces inside. We pull the thing out, instruction manuals. And I don't know about you, but if I ever play a board game, I don't fancy reading the instructions. I just want to get on with the game. You see, for me, it's the fun. And the problem is with instructions is they take too long. They take far too long to read. So I just throw the instructions aside and I start playing the game and hope for the best and see if I can work it out as I go along. And I did this the other day with Jacob and he said, he starts to say, Dad, what about if this happens? And I said, I've got no idea what to do. And then I'm trying to pick up the instruction manual and learning as I go along. My wife, Emma, she's very different. She reads the instruction manual. It seems to be like it supernaturally enters her brain. She automatically knows how to play the game. You know, Trivial Pursuit, Monopoly, she can do it like this. And all of a sudden, everyone's playing the game and she knows what to do. All I do is, if I'm ever playing, is I just ask her the instructions. What do we do next? Some of us, sometimes, we move on in our Christian life. And we don't read the instructions. We don't get into the Word. We don't ask or or divulge into the Word with others and friends. And we find ourselves actually moving forward and making mistakes. We jump ahead. And I want to encourage you sometimes, you've got to get into the Word of God and understand. Get people around you. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. Get around people that sharpen you. Not blunt you sharpen you. I meet many people who blunt me every day. Every day. Did I just say that? Oh, yes, I did. I like to be honest. Oh, yes, I meet people who I thought I was being sharpened, then I'm being blunt. But listen, you've got to get around people that sharpen. I love people that sharpen me. I love people who are full of the Holy Ghost and are positive. Come on, bring them my way. Those who are negative, get out of the way. Acts chapter 8 verse 30, Philip is sent to the Ethiopian eunuch. And when he meets this person, he's reading Isaiah in verse 30. It says, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. You see, there's something about sitting together. And discussing the Word of God. So many of us fall for what I call virtual communities these days. 
See, the problem is out there today, you've got things like YouTube, you've got things like Facebook, you've got all these manner of communications, people expressing their views, people posting up sermons, and you start to watch certain things online, and you begin to get lost in what you believe. You actually get confused in what you're watching, because the next thing that comes on is confusing you from the last thing you watched. And some of us, what we do is, we think, oh, we've got to embrace today's technology. It's super. But actually, the truth is that what we do is, we end up falling for virtual communities rather than real communities. We end up speaking to someone through a mobile phone rather than meeting them face to face. The art of communication, the art of conversation has gone. And I want to encourage you today, don't fall, let technology remove the true meaning of community. I want to tell you, if Jesus was around today, I don't believe he'd be speaking to someone through the phone. He'd be finding them. He'd be with them. Now, it's not always possible, and I understand that, but we've got to get into this this culture of being together, communicating together, explaining together. Not in virtual communities. See, what happens when they discuss it, it attracts Jesus. It says, he walked along with them. When you meet together, the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in my name, not in a name of negativity, but in my name, I'll be there. I'm going to be there, guys. If you meet in my name under one spirit, the bond of peace, I will be there. I love that. That Jesus himself is attracted to discussion. He's attracted to our conversations about him. I really believe that some of us need to get into this art of conversation with each other about Jesus and not be negative. I meet a lot of people who... They criticize others. They put the church down. They put the body of Christ down. Well, I say to you, go and start your own YouTube channel. Go and start your own virtual community where you can express your views. But listen, listen to me. Jesus does not want us to be criticizing each other. He wants us to discuss things together in a godly way. What it does is it attracts. It doesn't attract the resurrected Jesus. If he, does, if he does show up, you can take a picture of him and tweet it. I'll let you do it on this occasion. But what it does for us today is it attracts the Holy Spirit. Not the physical form. We know that Jesus isn't walking in the room in his physical form as he did then. But what he does promise is that his Holy Spirit will come. In other words, if we in our communities begin to talk together, encourage one another with the Word of God and explain the Word of God, you'll find that the Holy Spirit is attracted to those conversations. He doesn't want to divide us. He wants to bring us together. In Psalm 133, verse 1 to 2, it says this, the psalmist writes, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil Poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. 
What does that mean? If you look back in Exodus 30, uh, verse 25, you'll see the description what Moses has given for the anointing oil that's used to anoint Aaron onto his head and his sons and the tent of meeting and the articles in the tent of meeting. You'll see in the Old Testament, the description is given that spices had to be mixed. A variation of spices were mixed together with the olive oil to make sure that this aroma, this oil would drip down upon the person being anointed. And I'm going to tell you today that when it talks about the Holy Spirit coming like this, like an oil, it comes when there is unity. When you come together and you don't criticize, but you actually build one another up, the Holy Spirit is right there. I think sometimes some of us think that our conversations, the Holy Spirit's there and he's not. Why? Because we've been critical. But I really believe that the oil of the Holy Ghost wants to flow. In our conversations, you'll know when the Holy Ghost is not there. Because he'll depart from any conversations that are negative. I've been in these situations where I've been around people. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like the Holy Ghost is moving whatsoever. I believe that something is making the Holy Spirit want to leave the room. Because the negativity and criticism is too much. We need to come together and the bond, the spirit of peace... And explain things together. Community number two provides not only a place to explain, but a place to engage with one another. It's important that we engage in relationships. I believe that actually moving forward for us as a church, we've got to learn how to do life together and not just meetings. We're quite good at meeting together and doing lots of meetings. But we've got to learn how to meet with people outside of church. That means sometimes inviting someone around to your house for dinner. Everyone's scared now. Are you laughing there, Marion? You'll be the first. Marion's free next Monday night. She's making curry. She's laugh. She's not laughing now. We've got to learn how to build relationships. You've got to start inviting people to your home that you wouldn't normally invite. I know it seems scary, but you've got to start building, strengthening community, engaging with people that you would not normally engage with. Do life together. Luke 24, 28, what happens is this. These disciples are walking along the road. It says as they approach the village, now they've done seven miles of walking. They're with Jesus. And the next thing it says, Jesus continued on as if he was going a little further. I love this. It's like, I'm going to let you walk to your house and see what you do next. Will you invite me or won't you? And the next thing it says is that they say, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. They didn't just say, do you fancy coming around to our house tonight? Oh, you're busy, don't worry. You know, we've got, we've got Netflix to watch as well, so you know, if, if you need to get off Jesus. No, they urged him strongly. I believe they were grabbing him. I believe they were grabbing him. What we heard earlier about Jesus lusting after our fellowship, they lusted. They said, please come back to our home. Please don't leave us. We've enjoyed your presence. We've enjoyed the discussion. We've enjoyed the community. Now we want to bring you into our home. I think there's something special because they not only recognize the power of the temple, they recognize the power of the home. They understood that if Jesus comes in their home, they can talk even more. They can discuss even more and engage together. 
Then it says this, verse 30, when Jesus was sat at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. To know each other sometimes. It says they recognized him after he broke bread. Sometimes, the only way you're going to get to know someone is if you spend time with them. They urged him to come to their home, to disrupt their daily lives. If you want to get to know someone, don't try and do it in 30 minutes before the meeting over a coffee. It ain't happening. I try to meet people downstairs, and when you've got the amount of people coming in, you can't expect to build community in 30 minutes. It's impossible. And then what people do is they get disgruntled because they can't meet and chat to everyone. Well, what do you got to do? You got to urge people strongly to come to your home and to commune with each other. You see, when we did communion earlier, I, I said it today, I don't disrespect this communion, but actually I've done this since I was a little boy, having the little plastic cups with the Ribena, as it were, and everyone always says it's wine, but it is Ribena. I can confirm it's Ribena, low fat, and the bread as well, the pita bread, and we bring this each week, but I want to say, if Jesus showed up today, and he said, where's the communion? I see outside, it's your communion service. If he came up here today, I think he'd be a little bit upset if that's all he got. Why? Because if you read the book of Corinthians, you'll see that Paul had to deal with their communion time. In fact, they were getting drunk, which shows that it wasn't Ribena, for all you teetotals. They were getting drunk. Then it says they were eating all the food. So when people showed up, there was none left. Paul had to bring order to the community services. It wasn't that he came in and said, there's a problem here. There's too much Ribena being drank and there's no pita breads left. You see, the difference is this. Let me just say this. I don't disregard this. We have to do this logistically for the type of meeting. But what it does is it sets a tone for us. That actually when you meet in your homes and you eat a meal, if you do it in the name of Jesus, that's communion. I believe Jesus likes a five-course meal and a good conversation. And he likes to be sat at the table breaking bread together, eating and drinking and discussing. It's amazing what you can do over the table and have a chat with. Some of us, sometimes we, 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 we put this communion down to just a little, little event in the middle of the service. But actually... Jesus is wanting us to start having meals together, communion together in his name. Why? We meet together in the bond of peace. We say, Jesus, we thank you that we can meet together. Why? Because we meet together because of you. We remember what you've done. The reason why we're sat here eating this meal together is because of you. I wouldn't be sat opposite this person from another country. Because of you, I'm being brought together. The kingdom of God has brought us together. Some of us have got to realize what it means to get together. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, I love the scriptures talking about the devoted people who were devoting themselves to meeting together. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. See, I remember years ago I was in this church I wasn't serving on team at the time. I was just attending and someone came up to me. A lady came up to me. She said, how are you? And I said, oh, is it your first time today? And she says, no, I've been coming six months. And I looked at her and I just said, it was one of those moments that you want the ground to swallow you up. 
You know, so I had to just think of how do I react to this? And I just thought the only thing I could do is just say, ah, I got you. Yeah, I remember you. No, I didn't really say that. That would be lying. But I looked at her. And I wouldn't do that, Marion. I looked at her. And I said, oh, all right. Okay. <laughs> Hello, sister. Because I didn't know her name. I know you think, oh, this is terrible. The pastor. Well, I wasn't the pastor then, so I got away with it. The truth is this, that some of us have lost connection with people. We're just people. You've got to start going and making friends. One thing I find downstairs on a Sunday is that I love to talk to people, but I don't like to talk to the same people every week. Why? Because I want to make sure that everyone who's coming in is feeling welcomed. Feeling welcomed into the family of God. And I believe that some of us need to start to be better at going up to people and breaking into conversations and welcoming them into the family of God. It's a key role. When someone walks in this church, we've all got to do it. Whether you're on the welcome team or not, you are welcoming people. Don't see yourself as a member. See yourself as a community and a person who's a friend to someone else. There's nothing makes me more upset when I'm sat talking to someone for about 30 minutes in the conversation downstairs in the cafe and there are about 15 people not being spoken to. We can all do this. We can all do this together. We've got to realize what it is to have that community. Rick Warren said this, we are created for community, fashioned for fellowship. And formed for a family. None of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. We've been designed as a family. If we want to be a good army for Christ, then we've got to be a good family in Christ. The next thing is that community provides a place to encourage one another. Not just engage with each other, but to pick people up. Jesus demonstrated this gift of encouragement. In Luke 24, 32, it says, They asked each other, these two disciples who'd just been with him, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I really want to believe for a church here that is full of people with burning hearts. You see, we can fill the place with members, but we need people with burning hearts, full of the passion for Jesus Christ, full of the fire of God. Not just people who had numbers and members who filled in a form, but we need people who are full of the fire of God. They said, weren't our hearts burning within us when he was with us? See, when you get together with people who are full of the Holy Ghost and not critical, you'll come out of those conversations and you'll feel better. If you're ever with someone, by the way, and you come out of the conversation, you feel worse, then I'd get away from those people if I were you. Did he just say that? Yes, I did. Because the Bible says this, mark out those that cause division among you. Stay clear of them. So I'm, I'm, I'm up for that because I've got plenty of time for the people who are positive in my life. And we've got to be getting around these people. Why? So we're strengthened and encouraged with a burning heart. Anytime you're with someone and you leave the conversation, if you feel like you're being put out, your fire has been put out, you need to stop spending time with that person. See, I, know, I only want to be around people that are putting, they're fanning me into flame. 
Paul's charge to Timothy was, fan into flame the gifts of the Spirit. You've got to get around people that are actually coming up to you saying, Brother, I love you, and I want to encourage you. You're doing amazing, and I know you're going through a tough time, but I just want to say I'm behind you 100%. Here's my big fan. Or you've got someone else who rocks up and says, "Ah, I don't like what you're doing. Here's my big hose pipe. Was that a good accent? Emma's going to say to me later, what accent was that? Lewis is thinking, Lewis, you... I've lost Lewis. Come on. People put out fires. They put out fires. They put out fires in you. When you get together in good community, your heart will be burning for Jesus Christ. It will be burning for Jesus. What's the litmus test for you? Check whether you're burning in your heart for Jesus Christ. Check it. Ephesians 4.29 says this, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. I'm going to read that again. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. Did you hear that? Did everyone hear that? The only thing that needs to be coming out of your mouth is not unwholesome talk, not things that criticize people and put them down. If you want to be a true believer and follower of Jesus Christ, you want to be doing the things for the kingdom and being part of the kingdom, then you better do this because it says, only, only bring what is helpful for building others up. According to their needs. That it may benefit those who listen, not criticize and rob them. Benefit them. You see, I had a friend to me years ago. They, they desired the gift of prophecy. They said, ah, the Bible says I've got to eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. And I said, yes. Eagerly desire it. And they wanted to prophesy. The problem is their natural voice, what they said in the natural, their words were critical. So they wanted to bring a supernatural word of encouragement. They said, I believe God wants to use me in the prophetic. Well, good for you, but try and curtail your language and what you say about others in the natural. Because prophecy should edify and strengthen and encourage and comfort people. Before you start seeking gifts for prophetic and speaking supernatural words, check your natural words. Because I believe Jesus is looking for our natural words to match up to our prophetic words. So many of us want to, oh, but it's like as soon as someone prophesies, it's like someone's completely changed. Especially when they change their voice, thus saith the Lord. Did thus saith, thus saith the Lord? When I was younger, someone in my church used to say every week, I thought God had just arrived in the building. It was like speaking in New King James. I thought, No. We've got to stop it. Act normal. I teach this all the time. When you prophesy, don't act weird. Talk normal. Jesus doesn't possess you and change your vocabulary. He doesn't. I'm sorry, but he does not do that. He uses the weak things of this world. He uses those who look like they're broken. Do you know why? Because he likes the world to see that broken people can speak. Under the influence of the power of God. That the quietest voice can minister to the strongest of people. 
telling you. Check your voice. Check what you're doing. Encourage others. Learn how to encourage people in the natural before you start seeking for the supernatural. How well do they match up with the natural? Your prophetic words. James 3.10 says something very, very powerful. It says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, he said, this should not be. Did you see that? This should not be. Then, to take it a little further, he says, verse 11, I'm going to reiterate this now with an illustration. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? In other words, what comes out of your mouth, if you think that what you're bringing is spiritual, and then the next minute you're speaking the way you are, he says this, can those two types of water flow from you? Should This should not be. It might be possible for you sometimes, but James is very clear in saying this shouldn't be the case. If you're thinking, well, I can make two different types of water flow, you want to watch what you're doing. In other words, if you can make your natural voice speak one way, but your spiritual voice speak another, be careful. Be very, very careful. Ezekiel 47 talks about the the river flowing from the temple, and it goes out. And he describes, Ezekiel describes this river that flows out and says it hits the ankle deep. Then it goes to knee deep and then it's waist and then it rises up. And I believe that that water is signifying the Holy Spirit leaving the building, the temple. And sometimes we've got to recognize that what goes on in here on Sunday, we need to be the same water outside there in the world. When you leave here, it's not a different type of water that you choose. It's not a different vocabulary you use. When you leave here and you go home, when you go into the streets, when you're with your friends at work, the same water that flows in you in front of people on church on Sunday needs to be the same water that's flowing outside. What happens is some people contaminate the water. They create their own streams. They say, oh, I'm going to have my own little stream here and contaminate it. But listen, the same water needs to flow. It's the unity of the Spirit of God. When Jesus spoke to the woman at the well at John chapter 4, he was talking about uh, the rivers of life flowing. He wasn't talking about you have your own different types of river. He said it's the same thing. It's flowing from inside of you. The river of God. Hallelujah. And finally, number four. Community provides a place to empower. When you get good community around you, it doesn't just help you to explain, engage with people and encourage people, but it empowers people to become the people that they're supposed to be in Christ. You see, every one of us have got some uh, a purpose in our lives to fulfill for Christ. Every one of you. And here it says in verse 33 of Luke 24, that when they were with Jesus, they'd just had him in their house. He's just now vanished. He's mysteriously just vanished from their sight. I know what I'd be doing. I'd be, I'd be getting samples from the chair he's just been sat on. Would you? Okay. I'd be, I'd be sat around saying, I cannot believe the resurrected Jesus has just been in our home. In fact, let's make a little shrine of the chair where he's been sat. Do you know what it says? Verse 33. They got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. They did a seven mile walk back. 
Why? To meet the other 11 and to gather around all the people and say, it's true, he's alive. You see, what happens is, when you understand revelation, it will bring motivation. When you get a revelation of Jesus, when you get around people who are burning hearts, when you're encouraged and the Holy Spirit is meeting in those meetings as you encourage each other, what will happen is it will burn in your heart and you'll find that you'll be motivated to go and do something for Jesus. Not just sit in the house. You see, so many churches today build themselves on community only. What happens is they get fat on community. They get big on community. But what they do is then they stay in the home. They stay in the presence. But all the time Jesus is saying, I vanish from you. Why? Because I want you to go now with what I've given you. Some of us sometimes spend our time Building community too much and forgetting the work of God. He says they got up, not just, they didn't say we'll go in a few hours. They got up at once. <laughs> they left. I'd be saying seven miles, when's the next bus? Seven miles, they head off back. Why? We've got to find the 11, we've got to do something. We've just met him, we know it's true. He's alive. Our hearts are burning inside. We've got to do something for the kingdom of God. He's alive. Revelation should bring motivation if you get around the right people. They got up and returned at once. Community is a priority, but it needs to propel us into purpose. Community has to propel us into purpose. Otherwise, you get fat on community. They went out. And action came. I put here that clarity in the Word of God bursts functionality in the Word of God. In other words, you get clear on understanding the Word of God and people explain it, you'll see that functionality is birthed. The unction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When you understand the Word of God and you understand it and people, it burns within you, you'll want to do things for Jesus. See, community needs to build people and build leaders. If you want to see empowerment, I believe that God wants to see us building people, but leaders building leaders. Why do I say that? I've been involved in the Assemblies of God for a long time. I'm associated with some of the people I'm associated with. They talk a lot on the basis of we've got to be raising churches that are building leaders that build leaders. We're not here to just create followers. We have to build leaders. It's hard sometimes, but we've got to trust and take risks, and we've got to build leaders to build leaders. That's the purpose of the church. That's how the church advances. And we believe that that is the model in which we need to move forward. In Mark six thirty-nine to 41, we see the feeding of the 5,000. It says this. I'm going to read it to you, and as I come to close... In verse 39, it says, Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. See, what happened is here, Jesus designated first. He designated the people, his followers, his true disciples who he trusted 
You'd have thought at that moment, you'd have thought, I've got 5,000 followers here. They're all following me. This is the way I'm going to say that the church started. 5,000 people. This is, my, this is my beginning of the chapter. This is the beginning of the book of Acts. No, actually Jesus knew that those 5,000 need to be fed, but he designated the people to go out amongst those 5,000 to feed them. He designated. Then next it says he directed them what to do. And then the disciples distributed two by two. There was a purpose here that Jesus showed that when there's a job to do, I'm going di- to designate people. I'm going to direct you and show you what to do. It's that form of teaching leaders to do things. But then he says, I want you to distribute what I'm giving you and go and do this. I believe that as true followers of Jesus, we need to be empowered as well as we're encouraged and engaged with each other. I'm going to come to a close in just a few moments and ask the worship team to come back. But I want to share with you, if you weren't here this morning, you won't be aware of one of the things, or somebody may have told you, but one of the things we shared this morning is an update on the vision for this year. And many of you know in February I shared the vision of the church, and that was to, to see the church grow and we were already starting with double services. We've now been doing that for since last October. This October will be one year that we've been doing these double services, the 2 p.m. service. And we believe God's been doing some special things in these meetings. And we really want to see that grow even more. And I talked in, in, in February about this church being an unstoppable church. One of the things in that time that none of you would have known, but it's been birthed in my heart for a number of years is that I've always wanted to see the rebirth of something we did about 10 years ago. And that was is to bring cell groups, or we're going to call them life groups, back into the church. We've done this. Some of you have been around a long time. We'll know back in 2005, we were running cell group vision. We were building leaders. We've done this already. We've done this. We've worn the t-shirt If you've been around long enough, you would have known that. But we've done this. We had some things that happened many years ago that were quite challenging for us. Actually, what people did is they didn't adhere to the, the following of the leadership. They didn't adhere to the instruction from, as it were, with Jesus directed. They didn't do that. They created their own thing. But if you want something to work like this, then he has to have accountability to leaders. So what we want to do is, is do it well this time in a way that what we've learned from the past. So by the way, this is nothing new to us doing life groups, if anyone thinks this is new. It's a rebirth of something that I've talked about for many years. But we want to see it come back. We want to see it come back in a way that we can manage this well and allow leaders to lead others in communities, sometimes not at the temple, but seven miles out, as it were. Sometimes there's going to be times out that people can meet in their homes. So the purposes we want to do is in November of this year, and you're probably thinking it feels like a long way away. We want to do it in November because we've got that much in the diary planned already. But we looked at the first available date, and what we want to do is every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of every month, is now going to be, instead of at the church, meeting for our gatherings, you will go to your life group in your closest community to where you are. We're going to start off with one a month as we go into next year, and if this gets grows and we see development, we'll probably increase. But let's just take one step at a time. 
and let's just do this. And I like to always try and do things well. So we're going to be doing that on November the 7th. The first Tuesday will be a life group. And you by then, if you want to come to a life group, will know which one your life group is. And by doing that, even today, as of today, if you flick to the next slide, you can go onto our website now. And if you go to the top banner just there, this went live last night, you can click on that banner and you can register for a life group. And you will be told, we'll get back to you as soon as we can, to tell you your designated life group leaders and exactly the location where you'll need to go as of the 7th of November. We believe this is an exciting time for this church to grow. I've realized over the years when I've held back from this, people have said to me, why don't you do them? Why don't you do them? And I've held back and never said anything because, simply because of the things from the past that I've been burnt by. But I want to tell you today as a church, we want to do it and we want to do it well. And so now's the time to do it. Why? Because the church is growing. We cannot accommodate the teaching people on a closer, uh, closer-knit communities on the way we are at the moment. It's impossible. So what's happened is the pressure has put us on to do this, and we've got to respond. We've also got to respond to the leading of the Holy Spirit in what He is showing us to do. It's an exciting time. I don't know if you're excited. It's going to be good. We believe it's exciting. Many years ago, in 2004, I, I saw a vision in my heart of just when we were praying here of this whole place filling with water and bursting out of the windows, down the streets. And the Lord spoke to me that time and said, I want you to take the message of the gospel out and pray for the sick. And we, we did. We responded. And we've seen some amazing things. But I just felt the Lord, as I was preparing this message, remind me and say, Phil, when I showed you that it wasn't just about evangelism, it was about the church expanding to the capacity. It was expanding out further than where you are. And I believe this type of model is a model of church planting. It's the way to plant. We've got to get into thinking about expansion, planting, and building people up, raising people up. So wherever you go, there's always a hint or a touch of King's Church, not just on Tennyson Road. Amen. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.